really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host. My name is David Lawrence, and I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm easy to find on all your socials. You can always just drop me an email as well at the scrum of the earth at gmail.com. So, of course, it was week two of the Rugby World Cup on top of the seventh round of the NPC. So let's dive right in, shall we? So starting as always with our current updates, and you know what? I ended up having a great weekend with my son. I took him to the Boston Museum of Science, which is such an incredible place. It, it had been years since I'd actually been there. All the updates they've made in that time, just they, they just make it better and better every single time. I took him to the Omnimax Theater for the very first time. He, he had been to the museum with my partner and her sister a couple of times, I think, but you know, not to the Omni. We went and saw a film appropriately titled Serengeti. It was, you know, simply gorgeous to look at and incredibly interesting as well. Um, the experience in that theater, it's just always mind-blowing. Uh, at one point, by the way, the narrator was explaining how in uh, how, how more than a million wildebeest migrate from the north to the south and then back again every single year. My son leaned over and said reverentially, this guy's really smart. <laughs> I thought about explaining, you know, what what a narrator does, but I decided that his world is a lot more interesting than mine. So I just said, sure is. Anyway, he's already asking to go back, so next time I'm hoping to hit one of the other films on offer. There's one about Mount Everest, um, and then also to get over to the planetarium in the same visit. That should be amazing. But also, the very next day, we also went to the Worcester Red Sox and witnessed an exciting comeback win for their final home game of the year. I'm already looking forward to getting back to the park next season. It's always just a blast, despite, you know, it being, you know, baseball. Well, Isa, it's definitely not good news if you're a Springboks fan, at least. So quoting here from Reuters, quote, South Africa's World Cup title defense suffered a major blow last Thursday when hooker Malcolm Marks was ruled out for the remainder of the tournament with a long-term knee injury as coach Jacques Ninaba uh, delayed naming a replacement in the squad. Ninaba believes he has enough cover at hooker despite Bongi uh, Bonambi being the only remaining specialist number two, opening the possibility of a recall for fly half Andre Pollard or center Lacanio Am. Uh, the pair were not deemed fit enough when the World Cup squad was announced on August 8th, but both played a major role in the team's 2019 triumph. Pollard, whose accuracy off the kicking tee has been missed, has been in training with his English club Leicester Tigers in recent weeks. Quote, we'll assess our needs for the rest of the tournament and confirm who we are calling up as an additional player later this week, Ninava said in a statement from South African Rugby. Um, Stormers hooker Joseph Dweba was the nominated standby option when the uh, squad was announced. Marks, who was not included in the matchday squad to face Romania in Bordeaux on Sunday, went down at training on Wednesday after having his knee caught in contact. Scans revealed the extent of the injury. One of the leading hookers in world rugby, Marks, has also been a strong ball carrier for the Springboks and a key source of turnovers at the breakdown, unquote. So I'm obviously not a box fan, but I do love watching Malcolm Marks play, so I, I feel for him for sure. I mean, on the other hand, like, this couldn't have happened before the Scotland game? Come on! 
So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week are are about the injury list that we're already sort of building in this tournament. Uh, it, some of it is is pretty grim, to be honest. Uh, so Planet Rugby, they put together a full list as of the Wednesday of the France versus Uruguay fixture last week. <clears throat> Quoting here, heavily edited, of course, to fix the multitude of grammatical and spelling errors. I mean, seriously, take a look. It's, ooh, it's rough. Anyway, quote, Starting with Pool A, New Zealand. It's mixed injury news for the All Blacks during the course of the World Cup as veteran Brody Retallick has made a full recovery from his injury. While Shannon Frizzell has not yet returned from a hamstring tweak, Tyrell Lomax received a nasty gash on his leg against the Springboks in a warm-up match and has yet to return. The biggest news coming from the camp is the tournament-ending back injury to Amoni Narawa. The, the wing has been replaced by the tireless, loose forward Ethan Blackadder, who has recently covered from a fitness concern himself, then France, the hosts' preparations were, of course, rocked by the news of Roma Entemac's ACL injury, ruling their star fly half out. Bad luck came in doubles for Les Bleus, who also lost world-class prop Cyril Bai to a calf issue, but the prop has not been replaced in the squad. Center Jonathan Dante had to withdraw from the opener against the All Blacks through injury, but has since recovered. Italy, the Azzurri, suffered a big blow as young star Tommaso Menoncello uh, was ruled out of the tournament with a bicep injury suffered earlier this month. The star jo uh, joins Eduardo pa uh, Padovani, Leonardo Marin, and Gianmarco Lucchese on the sidelines. Uruguay, the South American side, were sweating on the fitness of star scrum half Santiago Arata, who fractured his finger in the buildup to the tournament, but he featured against the hosts in his team's opener. Namibia, oh man, this is going to kill me. The African side appears to have a clean bill of health at this stage with no major injuries restricting squad selection. Side note, that has obviously changed, but we will get to it. Oi, vey. So Pool B, Ireland, the top-ranked side received a positive update on injuries with Dan Sheehan, Dave Kilcoyne, and Robbie Henshaw all cleared to return to action. The team is still waiting on the complete recovery of Jack Conan, who has been out for an extended period with a foot injury. South Africa, the defending champions were rocked by the news that three of their 2019 World Cup winners are out with injuries as Andre Pollard, Lacanio Am, and Lou Diaga all missed out on the 33-man squad. Pollard is believed to have uh, mostly recovered, but is not game ready. All three have been placed on standby list for the tournament. The side suffered a massive blow with starman Malcolm Marks being ruled out of the tournament with a long-term knee injury sustained in training. His replacement is yet to be confirmed. Second row Eben Etzebeth has also been sidelined with a shoulder issue sustained against Scotland, but will be returning in 10 days. Scotland. Gregor Townsend's side has, has a, a mostly clean bill of health, with the exception... <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing. I know it's not funny. Of Dave Cherry, who suffered a concussion after a hotel accident. I'm sorry. Can you imagine? You just played an international test match of rugby union in the forwards, and you survive, and then you go back to your hotel, and you're like, whoa, doof. I mean, come on. So he has been replaced in the squad by Stuart McAnally, who had retired after missing out on selection. Uh, Tonga, the Pacific side, has no notable injuries restricting their selection, but will be without George Mawala for five games after he was banned for a dangerous tackle against Canada. Romania, the European side, has no notable injuries. Pool C... For Wales, Warren Gatlin's preparations were disrupted by Ken Owens being ruled out of the tournament with a back injury. The veteran was joined on the sidelines by Daffod Jenkins and Ryan Elias. 
Australia, Len Ikatao was settling into the outside center berth well until he suffered a shoulder injury in the rugby championship, ruling him out, whilst veteran prop and leader Alan Alalatoa ruptured his Achilles in a scrum. Ooh. The Wallabies have their first major concern during the tournament as Taniela Tupo did not train due to a hamstring complaint. Fiji. The star pivot Caleb Muntz was ruled out of the tournament with a knee injury sustained in training. In the buildup to the tournament, it is unfortunate timing for the player who starred in the side's win over England in a warm-up match. Ooh, that was good. Georgia. The emerging side has a clean bill of health and has recently confirmed its World Cup squad. Portugal. There are no injuries in particular to note for the European side. Moving over to Pool D for England, the Red Rose lost their scrum half, Jack Von Portfleet, to a nasty ankle injury last weekend. Joining him on the sidelines is wing Anthony Watson, who was ruled out with a calf injury. Japan, the Brave Blossoms, are waiting on the fitness of trio uh, Warner Deans, Uwe Helu, and Amato Fakatava for the World Cup. All three are expected to recover for the tournament. Argentina. Front row Ignacio Calles, who was only just beginning his test career, suffered a ruptured Achilles in July, ruling him out of the showpiece. Samoa, Manu Samoa has a clean bill of health heading into the tournament. Chile, South Americans also do not have any injuries to note at this stage, unquote. I have to say, I very much regret selecting this piece for Thoughts of the Week this time. I, I just feel like my timing was exceptionally poor as things unfolded. Okay, that, of course, brings us to our reviews. And in the World Cup, Thursday, we got things started with France versus Uruguay. These teams had faced off just twice over the years, with France winning both times. And it had been a long time since they'd seen each other, the two priors in 1985 and then 1960, going way back. Uh, It was hard to hold out much hope for Los Terros, given the form France are showing these days. But they did end up scoring the first try of the night, taking a 3-5 lead early on. The host nation quickly woke up and rested momentum back to their favor, building a 13-5 lead of their own when Roman Taufifinua got a yellow card and Uruguay looked to capitalize, winning a penalty off a seven-player French scrum, and they showed some guts going to the corner knowing they were going to need some serious points if they were going to have any hope in this one. Uruguay, they looked... They looked really good, I would say. Um, they really looked right on the edge of being able to hang with the best of them, but the little things just sort of kept derailing their attack. In particular, so many little knock-ons right when they had gotten rolling. It must have been so frustrating. To their credit, that didn't phase them, but to France's credit, they seemed to inherently understand the threat Los Terros might pose and took them very seriously, taking points when they were on offer and basically sticking to a tight-knit game plan they are not a team that look ripe for any upsets. All cylinders are firing for Les Bleus. After 50 minutes, it was still a very respectable 13-5, to but only minutes later, a beautiful try out wide and a nervy conversion from Echeberry made it 13-12. to So good. Sadly, that was where the Uruguay journey would end in Lille. France pouring in some insurance scores to make no doubt, and despite a gritty effort on defense, the hosts were simply too much. 27-12 to 12 was your final score. On Friday, the All Blacks took on a Namibian side that may have dared to think, why not us, right? New Zealand had faced Namibia in each of the last two World Cups, but that's it, just the two games. The ABs unsurprisingly taking both. Well, this game was a a real downer for me. It started off as kind of a, a minor downer. It, it started that way simply because the video was about two seconds ahead of the audio, which made it a baffling and painful ordeal to watch. But, you know, 
fairly early on, that seemed entirely unimportant as one of my all-time favorite free jacks, LaRue Milan, who's been proudly representing Namibia on the world stage, went down with possibly the most grisly injury I've ever witnessed in a rugby match. I choose not to describe it in any way here. I'm honestly a little shaken up. Milan, of course, scored what amounted to the game-winning try in the MLR final in Chicago. I was there to see it. It was unbelievable. I can't say enough about him as a player or a person. So he and I had a plan in the works to have, a, a you know, just a small chat here on the show at some point soon. And I don't mind sharing an incredible story here. So after this match, I, I didn't know what to do. So I just sent him a WhatsApp message just saying how sorry I was for his bad luck and saying how I'd be sending thoughts and positive vibes this way. It seems completely, you know, worthless for me to do that, but I couldn't say nothing. Anyway, the, the last time we had actually chatted was back in August, with the last message being an annoying little bit of banter from me asking about some of the warm-ups they'd been doing. He didn't get back to me, which bothered me not one bit, as the man is pretty busy these days. So the morning after this incident this weekend, I woke up to find a voice message on my phone. It was from LaRue, and the whole message was basically, oh, I'm so sorry I never answered this. I feel so bad. I wish you had double texted me so I could have been reminded. Let's get together for a chat soon. Are you kidding me? I mean, what a guy. I honestly got a little bit choked up that morning. I mean, he has no real reason to even reply, and yet he does, and the whole message is apologizing for something that never needed an apology in a million years. What a guy. Um, little quick update, follow-up kind of thing. After I initially jotted this down, the word is that the injury is not as bad as they thought, but the Free Jacks issued a statement basically saying, leave the guy alone. So I'm going to give it a little time before I reach out again. He is now officially my favorite player. Oh, my word. Anyway, for the first time in my life, I turned off an All Blacks test. The idea of watching just seemed like silly, inconsequential. By the end, it was, of course, a colossal beatdown. New Zealand winning 71-3. to on Saturday, it was Samoa versus Chile. It was the first time these teams met each other. It was clear from the very beginning who the crowd was going to be rooting for. Um, Leo Leifano, he got the first points with an early penalty, but then things suddenly went south for them with Los Condores scoring a lovely try in the corner. On that scoring drive, the TMO spotted foul play with a late tackle as well. Suddenly, Samoa were down 3-7 to seven with 14 players. <laughs> and the, the other tough bit, I was really surprised nobody seemed to mention it or talk about it after the fact. So just prior to scoring that try, the touch judge was sort of gesticulating and admonishing a Samoan defender just to, to keep on side. And when the player finally just looked up, frustrated to answer him and basically say, okay, okay, I'm doing it. That was the moment Chile took the opportunity to smash through. It looked like daylight robbery. They must have been like, what is happening right now? In any event, penalty kicks kept things ticking over for Samoa, edging ahead before finally getting a try of their own after the halftime whistle had sounded 19-7 to as they went to the lockers. By the way, I hate spending time on this, but both games this weekend so far, the audio and the video were out of sync. If this is the new reality for Peacock, I'm not kidding. I won't be able to watch. It's effing horrible. Anyway, 
The Big Mo shifted the way of Samoa as the second half unfolded. It was 36-10 as we entered the final quarter. They would add a final try for good measure of Chile. A great effort, but the hill was just too steep this time. 43-10 was your final score. But despite those two losses, they are clearly the World Cup darlings for 2023. A great story and a compelling group of players, to be sure. Wales versus Portugal was our next offering. And I have to start this with a side note. So before a lot of these fixtures, at least on Peacock, where I am, they have a split screen intro with uh, Alex Corbacero in glittery, sharp, high def split with Dan Lyle looking like, I don't know, like they slapped Vaseline on the lens and then made a VHS tape out of it. Like what gives with that? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure HD does exist here in the States. Is there an issue with like the metric conversion between these two continents? Do they do they need one of those little adapters? Okay, and before you lambaste me on socials for that, I can assure you it was a joke. So Wales had only faced Portugal once before this weekend, absolutely drilling them 102 to 11 in a 90, 1995 Rugby World Cup qualifying fixture. And while they'd remain clear favorites, it's true that Portugal have come a long way since then. All week, I heard every person on every Welsh podcast bravely announcing there would be no way Portugal would win this game. So the collective sphincter must have started to tighten up a little bit when the underdogs seemed to have all the go forward while Wales couldn't get out of their own way at the start. Another side note, I mentioned that both teams would be wearing alternate kits today to ensure easy visibility for anyone suffering from colorblindness or colorblindness in the UK. I'm sorry, you can't actually hear the extra U in there. What I didn't know was that Wales had purchased their gear at the Wasps going out of business sale several months ago. Fun fact. Either way, it was the Welsh who scored first. And if you don't mind, I just need to take a moment of silence for how handsome Lewis Reese's Amit is. Okay, done. So Wales, of course, looked generally bigger and stronger, which made it feel all the more likely they'd figure out a way to, to botch it. Um, at the break, the score was a dangerous 14-3, to and that only after a last-second try under the posts. Sarcasm aside, as the Chile fans on hand, oh my word, so great. So both teams went on to score one more try in the second, uh, second stanza. Portugal's going unconverted, and that was all she wrote. It was a second consecutive Welsh victory, Pretty shaky one, I would say. The final score, an understated 28-8, to again, courtesy of a try after the clock had gone red. Sad side note, a player from Portugal learned at that final moment that his yellow card had been upgraded to a red for accidentally booting Josh Adams in the face, and his Rugby World Cup would end there. I mean, it's, I have to assume there's going to be a band that follows the regret writ large on his face, a very tough way to finish the tournament of his life. So later that day, it was Ireland versus Tonga, I was surprised to learn that these two teams had only met just twice before with the Irish winning on both occasions in 2003 and 1987. I, I don't know. Just seems like there should be more history there, but perhaps there'd be some tonight. The coffee maker was in charge for the officials. The comms warned us right off the bat that this game might get extremely physical. And side note, they mentioned that Tonga are called the Sea Eagles, a fact I was shocked to not know. So secondary side note, the issues with the audio and video being out of sync didn't seem to be evident this time. I desperately hoped that was the end of it. So I'll be honest with you. Uh, it, it quickly turned into another incredibly boring Ireland game. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm well aware they're incredibly good. They're ranked where they are with good reason. 
I don't know. I just find it incredibly tiresome to watch. I can't even put my finger on why they're just so thoroughly unlikable as a team. I mean, and I guess, I guess the fact that they predictably destroy everything in front of them just makes them super unfun as well. In this one, you sort of fall asleep listening to the comms droning on about how great they are. Then you wake up, boom, it's 31 to six at the end of the half. Like what? What? In this case, at least. We got to see Peter O'Mahony getting sent off for 10 minutes with Tonga knocking on the door. Was there any chance this game would become interesting? Via Fofita, he thought so, and finally got a try for Tonga, the clock seven plus minutes into the red. But I mean, I was already inking up the game over stamp. It was clear it was going to be too little too late. They managed to get a uh, a palindromic scoreline at the intermission, 31 to three, but... The Irish, they owned the second half. Bundiaki having yet another spectacular performance. Anyone else remember the long stretch where he couldn't even get on the field for Connacht? What was up with that? Anyway, 57-16 to 16 was the final score, and I will now go wash my eyes with bleach. On Sunday, it was the Springboks against Romania. And by the way, there's been a lot of chat about this. So I, I alluded to it just now, but Peacock again skipped over the anthems to instead bring us Alex Corbacero and Dan Lyle, the the former seemingly on Blu-ray while the latter was still on VHS. Um, these are two people who have quite literally nothing to say. Hey, Peacock, bin these two windbags and show us the anthems, for God's sakes. It's a World Cup. Seriously, what the F? In any event, South Africa only met Romania once prior to this weekend when they won 21-8 to during the 1995 Rugby World Cup. Tonight, would would put that score to shame. The box racking up 26 points in 12 minutes. It was a bit hard to pay strict attention after that. I mean, prior to halftime, an absolute deluge came in. Fans scurrying for cover as the teams went to the lockers. And the route continued after the break. South Africa scoring a point a minute with a 52-point shutout after 52 minutes of play and 76 after 76. So unfun to watch. That was, mercifully, all she wrote, an epic hiding and massive snorefest from the box, 76 to nil. And then, I mean, it was obviously the game of the week. It was Australia squaring off against Fiji. If you told me you knew how this was going to go ahead of time, I would have known that you were a complete liar. I was leaning towards picking Fiji as the match, you know, it meant more to them in a sense, in that if they didn't win it, their tournament was over, for sure. Also, the Wallabies were without Tate McDermott, last week's Diamond in the Ruck award winner Taniela Tupo, and Will Skelton. So I just wondered how they would fare after maybe the 55 or 60 minute mark when the subs for the subs would be coming on. So it began as close as you might expect. Nick White getting the first points, followed by an equal and opposite reaction from the Vigians. We were locked at three, headed towards the second quarter. Fiji would grab the next three, but then it was the Aussies with a brilliant 50-22 and a heads-up play to catch their foes napping Marky Mark, getting an opportunistic try that the comms thought should never have happened, but all the officials seemed happy with it. Um, I, I didn't have an opinion on this one. The try itself was brilliant. And in the lead up to that, I was checking on the the bolognese I was making for my you know for for boys movie night with my son at the time, so didn't really see that. Anyway, eight to twelve was our score as we began the second half. Fiji looking strong and very disciplined on defense, content to kick their way to a lead. And I had a feeling we were in for a fantastic final forty. Fiji, the crowd absolutely roaring behind them, pushed it out to a fourteen point lead with maybe ten or twelve minutes remaining, but. 
the Aussies found an answer and were down just a converted try in the final moments. Side note, by the way, James Slipper, only seven behind George Gregan for most Wallabies caps in history, had been playing tighthead for his team all night, only the third time in his career he'd been forced into that role. And with an, another stone-cold knockout on the pitch late on, I mean, it's a miracle these Wallabies can even field 15 players without, like, crutches being involved. So that being said, the reactions among the Fijian faithful in the stands and by all accounts back home on the island, I mean, it was mayhem. They felt like they should have beaten Wales. Now they look poised to defeat Australia for the first time. I think they said it was since 1953. What a moment. With less than 90 seconds on the clock, Donaldson, deep in their own try zone, hoofed it into touch, giving possession back to the flying Fijians. And that was surely that. I mean, I know it's next to impossible to drive from that deep. They had no choice, right? Like the, this kick effectively said, fine, you win. And they didn't, in the ensuing lineout, they didn't even have a jumper. It was just, it was truly bizarre. Anyway, Fiji, they naturally get, never give them the ball back. Why would they? And they came away with a famous victory, 22 to 15. What a day and what potentially a tournament. So England versus Japan wrapped up the weekend action in France. England had matched up against the Brave Blossoms eight times going back as far as 1971, winning every single encounter thus far. Tonight, both teams, ugh, they looked borderline unwatchable with a 13 to 9 scoreline at the break. And the English would go on to defeat the what the F happened to us, Blossoms? It was 34 to 12, and I can't particularly recommend watching the replay. Yeek. So, swooping on down to New Zealand and the National Provincial Championship, the Storm Week fixture this week was, of course, County, uh, Counties Monaco hosting Canterbury, a lopsided matchup on paper for sure, with Counties' last win against their guests coming in 2016. But, you know, it, it turned into a really fun one in the first half. Canterbury looked in complete control through... I don't know, maybe the first quarter, but then the hosts finally broke through for a try, tied it up with a pen, then went ahead with another try in Canterbury. They looked stunned. Just before the break, however, it was Daniel Leonard Brown tying things up for his side. 17 all was the score at halftime. Canterbury, they came out hot in the second half and looked it looked kind of bad for counties for a little while, but this team, they just don't give up. And the amount of work they put in on defense in particular went a long way towards their efforts to claw back into it with just 90 seconds remaining. It was their ball down 24 to 29 cynical play. Then by Canterbury earned them a yellow card with the home team pounding on the door. And then with the clock, well red, they got it out all the way to the right edge for a dandy of a try. Blake McKeary wearing number 23, getting the honors and it was as hard a conversion as you could possibly imagine, but they nailed it. The home crowd going bonkers as their team claimed an unlikely and much-needed win from the visitors. The final score, a very close 31-29. to 29. What a game. Then on Friday, we had a major Free Jacks clash with Hawks Bay versus Manawatu, or as I like to say, the Free Pies versus the Turbo Jacks. Uh, this one ended up... Okay, I'll just say it. A massive blowout. Another tough day at the office for Mike Rogers and his charges. The home team jumped on them early and often. It was 31-0 before the 20-minute mark. Ouch. Bodine Waka finally got Manawatu on the board with a scintillating individual try. Man, oh man, that guy has serious wheels even now. Um, but that would be the only score for his side all night. By full time, it was a massive 57-7 win for Brad Weber and his Hawks Bay team. It was back to the drawing board 
for Manawatu. Auckland versus Waikato me, uh, meant that we would get an eye full of Roger Tuivasa Shek, who I honestly thought had already gone back to league. So the Mulus, they looked really good right at the start, taking advantage of just every little slip up and finding themselves up 5-17 to 17 at the break. Auckland's attack, on, on one hand, like you watch it, it looks really sophisticated. Like they're doing a lot of stuff and there's, it looks like, you know, a deep playbook is in sort of NFL terms, but they just kept making those sort of tiny errors that drive coaches nuts. Waikato went on to right the ship a little bit, garnering their third win of the season on the road this time, 12 to 27, a dominant showing from them from top to bottom. So the battle for the North was... I, I always want to do like a pretentious accent with that. I just, I can never decide which one. So do I go with the battle for the North or do I go with the battle for the North? Anyway, that was next up with, of course, North Harbor versus Northland. I'm afraid I missed this one, actually. Uh, Harbor went on to earn the best of the top of the compass award. I've now decided to call it a big 50 to 31 victory. Otago versus Taranaki represented, realistically, Otago's last chance to stay in the playoff hunt, while the Free Bulls were looking to secure a spot of their own. The visitors, <laughs> they made a statement right off the bat, showing their hosts that they were willing to play from absolutely anywhere, not even kicking it away within their own five-meter line. Like, I mean, it made for a really exciting watch, but they, they did fall behind briefly, perhaps as a consequence Second half, however, though, you know, they, they put it all together while Otago basically just stalled out a, a big road win, uh, road win for Jesse the Pest and his crew, a de facto ending to a difficult season for the Golden O, 17 to 36 by full time. Bay of Plenty versus Wellington, as well as the next two, I didn't have a chance to catch, but I can report that boop, went down hard in this one, 14 to 26, while Canterbury more than doubled up Southland. 29 to 14. And finally, the Tasman Mako took down County's Monaco 27 to 17. Woo! What a weekend. So don't look now. But this competition is almost over. After this, there are just two more rounds before they ride into the postseason. As it stands right now, that would mean Wellington and Canterbury, they would nab the top uh, two seeds. Wellington, still undefeated, obviously, with the double T, Tasman and Taranaki in slots three and four. Auckland and Hawks Bay seeded five and six with North Harbor and whoop, rounding out the top eight. Keep in mind, North Harbor have only played seven games so far, so they have the most range for, you know, upwards movement. Waikato and Counties are both on three wins and nipping at the heels. So there's still a lot to be decided over these next two weeks. Well, by that music, you will of course know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Joshua Tuasova, Mr. Tuasova, your breakaway try this weekend turned out to be an historic one. Quoting here from the Rugby World Cup official match report, quote, player of the match Tuasova, when asked about the long gap between victories over Australia, said, quote, I know it's a long time for us, Fiji, since 19... 
I don't know, back in the day. It's history for us. I just want to thank the boys for their hard work. They gave everything. I just said to them for the second half to empty the tank, give everything they have to try to win this game. We treated this game like a final, unquote. That's twice in a row your team has been involved in the match of the weekend, and your honors this week are well-deserved. Joshua Tuasova, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck award winner. Well done, sir. Okay, that brings us to our updates and previews. And for the World Cup, of course, we're starting with that Wednesday and Thursday. We've got fixtures on both days. It's Italy versus Uruguay on Wednesday. France versus Namibia on Thursday. France have done a pretty stealthy job of getting most of their games out of the way and getting themselves a nice little... Anyway, not going to start a conspiracy theory. That one's going to be on Thursday. Friday brings us Argentina versus Samoa, while on Saturday, it's Georgia versus Portugal. England versus Chile. Come on, Chile. And then a huge one, South Africa versus Ireland. Oh, my God. I have no idea what to expect from that. Sunday then features two big ones as well with Scotland versus Tonga, followed by Wales versus Australia. What a weekend. Meanwhile, down in the MPC, we've got Northland versus Counties versus the Turbo Jacks. Woeful Southland versus Hawks Bay. Canterbury versus Tasman. Taranaki versus Auckland. Wellington versus North Harbor and Waikato versus Otago, while our final Storm Week fixture will then come on the following Wednesday to even out the table with the steamers again taking on Southland. Wow, there's good stuff coming up. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. I am one exhausted dude. Uh, On one hand, I was really bummed to suddenly realize just how close the NPC is to ending. On the other hand, I mean, I could really use a bit of a break, you know? Anyway, to all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.